You're listening to the Bible Nerd Podcast, a weekly show where we're exploring the world of the Bible, helping you fall more in love with Jesus, and building a thoughtful defense for the Christian worldview. I'm your host, Steve Schramm. Welcome to the show. So I want to talk to you all uh, today about a quote that I just came across. So I use this program uh, called Readwise. It's actually an online app. And what it does, it's super duper cool uh, for you Bible nerds out there. It is a, 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 a tool that lets you take your Kindle highlights as well as uh, highlights from Instapaper, other places across the internet. Apple Books, uh, I think it works even with Libby and a couple of the other library services. What it'll let you do is take your highlights and it will automatically resurface them for you. And you, it gives you a daily review. It's called your daily Readwise. That's the name of the tool is Readwise. You can get it at readwise.io. And anyway, it's just fantastic. It's a wonderful learning tool that can really help you remember and recall what you've learned. And there's, this is not a commercial for Readwise. Uh, there's a ton of uh, awesome features that it has for space repetition and just helping you learn and remember things. But sort of the core foundation of it is the daily Readwise, where it will uh, take you through as many quotes between three and 15 as you'd like. I have it set for nine currently. Um, Every day, it will resurface those highlights, and you can go in and create notes. You can tag them. You can even edit the highlights to make it um, easier for you to quote them in certain scenarios or whatever. And so, I I, I came across uh, one of the books that I read years ago now called "The Bible Among the Myths." This quote surfaced up, and uh, I'm going to read the quote to you, and then give you just a few minutes of, of thinking around this because it really, really helped me to understand something about the relationship. Uh, between transcendence and continuity and the ancient world. And I know um, you, you may not have a clue what I'm talking about yet. I promise I'm going to explain it. Let me start with the quote, and then I'll go from there. The quote says this, For the Bible, God is not the cosmos, and the cosmos is not God. God is radically other than his creation. This thought undergirds everything the Bible says about reality. From start to finish, the Bible adamantly resists the principle of continuity. God and the divine realm are not in any way a part of this world. He is everywhere present in the world, but he is not the world, and the world is not him. He is other than the world. He is separate from it. It does not proceed from him as somewhat of a blurred reflection. It is a creation that, by his permission, has a distinct existence from his own. This is the law of transcendence, and it means that God is wholly other than the cosmos. End quote. So what the author is talking about is, and again, the, the name of the book is The Bible Among the Myths. The author is John Oswalt. It's a fantastic book. You should definitely pick it up. And it seeks to deal with the question of where does the Bible stand over and against its ancient Near Eastern um, neighbors? The uh, ancient Mesopotamians and Sumerians and Egyptians, all of these different cultures that surrounded Israel had myths. Myths about creation, myths about the origin of their people groups, etc. And a lot of people want to sort of blend Israel into that mix. And what this author wants to do is make clear that there is a distinction between what's going on in these myths and what is going on in the Bible. And this is coming from an author who also wants to be very faithful to. I mean, he's an Old Testament scholar. He wants to be very faithful to the ancient Near Eastern culture. I mean, Israel was an ancient Near Eastern culture. Um, and so it, 
the question is, are, are they just another ancient Near Eastern culture or did they have true revelation uh, from God? And the, the core way that he speaks about this in the book is transcendence versus continuity. And you probably from hearing that quote picked up a little bit on the differences, but just to explain it simply, in a continuity worldview, the God, God or the gods or whatever, it's all part of the world. The divine realm and the physical realm are one and the same. This is why in a lot of the myths, the gods are, you know, different depictions or manifestations of nature, etc. Whereas on the biblical worldview, you always have God and the divine realm in general as interacting with the physical world in real history, but as distinct and separate from them. And that's the transcendence worldview. So continuity, the continuity worldview is the worldview espoused by all of the myths, whereas the biblical worldview espouses this um, um, transcendent worldview. And throughout the book, he makes, I think, a compelling argument and, and case for that. So I want to talk about that boundary line because I, th I think as I have grown over the years and learned more about the uh, biblical record and uh, really began to, well, be a Bible nerd, I've, I found some things that I, I felt like I wanted to believe about the ancients, about, about especially ancient Israel and their worldviews and their beliefs. And then other things sort of went too far. And as I read this quote this morning, I thought, huh, you know, I think this may actually help make the distinction. So to make it real practical for you, and then we'll we'll shut her down for today. Um, something like the Divine Council worldview, which you guys have heard me talk about. And this is the, the view that um, basically the, the little g gods are real. Um, that the divine realm and spiritual realm is a lot more than just angels and demons. And, you know, if you read any of the work of Michael Heiser, this is, you know, his sort of main thing that he talks about. And uh, you can catch that in The Unseen Realm or Supernatural. Those are two great books that he wrote on the topic. Uh, the Unseen Realm is more academic, and Supernatural is more for the layperson and, and more purpose-driven. And at the same time, there are beliefs. Uh, so uh, again, I want to affirm the basics of that view, which is which is essentially that uh, the spiritual world is a, is a lot more um, than what we often make it out to be. Yes, there are real spiritual beings out there, little g gods that the ancient cultures worshipped that are subject and subservient to uh, Yahweh. Did they rebel against Yahweh? Yes, in the same way that the Lord of the dead, the devil, Satan, did. Um, Satan would effectively be their leader, okay? And so, like I said, it's 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 angels and demons, but it's more than angels and demons, right? I truly believe, based on now years of study that I have done into this for myself, um, that this is accurate. Okay, however, there are other beliefs that I don't think are accurate that somehow sometimes get lumped together with beliefs like that. Take, for example, the belief that the earth is flat or that there is a, a dome, okay, a solid dome or a at least some sort of material dome uh, around the earth. Um, people often lump those sorts of beliefs in there, in there too. And what I think is, is missing there could be, and I'm just speculating and riffing a little bit here in this episode, but it really could be this boundary line being crossed between transcendence and continuity. See, even for the divine council world worldview, you still have the core belief that there is the divine realm, and then the physical realm. They interact, but they are not manifestations one of the other. You still have a transcendence worldview 
even if you affirm the Divine Council worldview, or as Heiser sometimes calls it, the Deuteronomy 32 worldview. Again, the view that in the, in the Bible, the other nations are worshiping and serving other real spiritual beings. Okay, that's what it comes down to. That view is still possible on the transcendence thinking, where God and the divine realm are wholly separate and other than the cosmos itself. Okay. Now, one of the things that God, uh, the Yahweh, the God of the Bible, did not like is when some of these other gods started to mix the two um, in a way that was not according to his purposes. Okay or a way that was in some sense cheapened. So for example, God placed his image, Yahweh placed his image in his people, okay? Not some stone or wood idol or golden idol of some sort, okay? And that's what a lot of times these other gods did. And if you knew the sort of the theology of idolatry in the ancient Near East, this is sort of how they believed. Um, they, they didn't think, like, I hope you know this, they, they didn't think that they were actually worshiping stone. Like, that would be ridiculous. The view that they had is that they were worshiping an actual spiritual being that would inhabit this structure, this idol, okay? That's what they believed. And so this was sort of a, a, a sort of cheap, a cheapened representation of what Yahweh did, right? Yahweh placed his image into real people, right? Um and breathed the breath of life into them. And then, of course, through Jesus, we have the union with Christ that Paul talks about. Now we're into New Testament theology, okay? But still, all of that stuff, is it fits within a transcendent worldview, okay? It was when, it's, it's when you start thinking about things of nature and physicality blending improperly with the divine realm that you get into this continuity thinking. So again, to make it practical, let's take creation myths. The one thing that they all have pretty much in common is, you know, you had ancient primordial chaos, and part of that was you had these gods warring and battling and uh, trying to figure out who was going to be the top dog. And whoever won the battle tore the other one up and basically created the sky from them. Um, the one, I think it's in the Enuma Elish, um, uh, Tiamat, you know, being the, the god who was stretched out over the heavens. Um, you get things like that. Okay, this is continuity thinking. So, for example, the idea that a, a, a dome, a material sort of dome, was stretched out over into the sky, as you would find in these other myths. Some people have brought that into the biblical thinking based on wording and things that we see. But what they don't realize is that that ancient that belief of the ancients is not based on an ancient concept of astronomy, right? Um, or if it is, it's very rare that this happens and I think very hard to prove. What's easy to prove is that this flows from their theological beliefs. And Vern Poitras, I wish I could remember the name of the, the article, but Vern Poitras has written a fantastic article that um, talks through some of this stuff as well. And I'm going to see if I can find it while I'm talking here. Um, but he wrote a, a particularly, uh, yeah, I can't find it. Anyway, he, he wrote a particularly great um, article that uh, that talks about this and talking about how, like for the ancients, um, their conception of the sky, much of their conception of the material world, etc. These were things that flowed from their theology, 
Okay, not from their cosmology, not from like an astronomical like there's it's really hard to pinpoint whether or not people actually believed some of this stuff. Okay, or whether it was just part of their etiology, right? Their origin story, their creation story, their theological beliefs. That's what is evidently clear. So I think this boundary line gets crossed when you start to include things like that. Okay, because what's happening is you are thinking in terms of science, but they're thinking in terms of theology, okay? So it's ironic. It's actually kind of the same mistake that they think that we're making, uh, that people who want to be you know, more faithful to the biblical account and, and don't want to take the view that the biblical account has, has sort of an erroneous um, vehicle of, of, of delivering information to us, right? So, you know, it's, it's like, well, Genesis 1 is scientifically erroneous, but it's theologically accurate. Well, I don't, I don't think that's true. Now, I, I do think that people are wrong to over, you know, make, make Genesis more scientific than it really is. I think that's a, on the other end of it, a, a path that shouldn't be taken uh, either. But I don't think there's anything in there that is at odds with what we know of modern science. And because I think that once you start to take that view, then you are into this continuity thinking. Okay. You're failing to realize that for the ancients, this was all theological. Okay. It wasn't about a scientific, an ancient scientific conception for them. It was very much about their origin story. And the biblical origin story is different. You don't have, I mean, everybody agrees that reading Genesis is is wholly unlike reading any of these creation myths. And we have to take that into account when it comes to this conversation. I think it matters a great deal. And uh, it, 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 I mean, in fact, it, it has implications for inerrancy. It has implications for the infallibility of the biblical account. And I do think that we can affirm the ancient Near Eastern um, situation of the biblical writers, while at the same time affirming how radically different their worldview really was. And you do have areas like the Divine Council worldview that are going to go beyond what I think most Christians are learning about in Sunday church. Um, and, and and you will have things like that to deal with. But just because you buy into that doesn't mean that you have to buy in wholesale into some of these other positions that I think very much stem from this continuity worldview, this mythical worldview um, that is much more concerned about theology uh, than than science. Look, the with the Bible, what makes the most sense is that writers write from their perspective, okay? Phenomenology. So when you have people talking about um, like the, the common, most common example is Joshua 10, you know, the day the sun stood still, you know, everybody wants to make that scientific. And it's like, we're not talking about science here. We're talking about what a person observed. How did God work that out? I don't know. It was a miracle. Okay. But the person observed the sun standing still in the sky. It does not believe, it does not mean that the biblical writers thought that the, uh, that, you know, had the, the notion of some sort of geocentric view of the earth. We know that ancient astronomers were actually quite smart and they had things like the curvature of the earth figured out even before the time of Christ. So let's not, um, you know, let's just be faithful. <laughs> how, about, how about that? Let's try that. Let's just be faithful to the biblical record 
and admit sometimes where we've maybe been wrong and maybe where Israel is more similar to its uh, neighbors than we once thought. But then let's also be sure that we're drawing that boundary line between transcendence and continuity and realizing that, you know, it's, it's, it's going to come down to the biblical, um, the, rather the divine realm. It's going to come down to the divine realm being wholly apart from the physical realm, having interactions, but being separate. And once you realize and you apply that separation to these different questions of different kinds of beliefs that Israel shared versus her neighbors, I think you can get a lot more clarity and come away with a, a worldview that is biblically faithful. All right, God bless my friends. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Bible Nerd Podcast. Again, there's something I saw in my morning reading and it, it really made a big difference. I made some notes on it and thought I would talk about it. So I uh, hope you enjoyed this and I can't wait to see y'all next week.